Hi, everyone. This is episode 154 of Greater Than Code, and I am Artemis Starr, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, John Sowers. Thanks, Artemis. And I'm here with Jacob Stobel. Hello, and it's my pleasure to announce our guest of the week, whose name is Ambreen Hassan. Uh, Ambreen first started her career in marketing and quickly learned it wasn't for her. She always loved working with computers as a young girl and decided to try the art of computering. For the past several years, Ambreen has worked as a software engineer at various companies ranging in all sizes and has written in various programming languages. Currently, she is exploring Node, JavaScript, and the wonderful world of promises. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Happy to be here with you all. What is your superpower and how did you acquire it? <laughs> so I always get asked this question and I never really know how to answer it because I guess I don't think I really have any superpowers. I mean, we all do. But I was trying to think of like either a technical one or not. So my non-technical one is that I'm really good at zoning people out, <laughs> like, which is kind of like <laughs> a weird superpower to have. But like, it's like if I'm in the middle of a conversation, I'm not really feeling it. I'm really good at like appearing like I'm under, like I'm listening, but I'm really not. <laughs> and that is my superpower. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot we have to do as technologists because we have our hands in so many levers. We're controlling or we're, we're influencing really complicated systems. Sometimes we have to know how to filter out input when we, when we know that it's not useful. And sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that sort of yeah. the idea? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think, you know, as from day to day, too, you're having so many different types of conversations and you're learning about different things. And so it's sort of like my superpower is sort of like, what is the necessary information I need to learn from this conversation? <laughs> and what else is just kind of like fluff? So it sounds like you're distilling the most important information possible from this interaction that's occurring and deciding what to filter. And it sounded like, like if I think about, cause I'm, I'm fairly dissociated myself. So this is the first time I've ever sort of even thought about, is this a superpower? Cause I certainly zone out a lot too. And I think one of the things I notice in, in zoning out, it allows you to decrease the amount of external input such that you can increase the amount of internal looping that you're doing internally, right? And so dissociativeness tends to also be coupled with, you know, other sort of internal mode powers and stuff. Like you can churn on stuff in your own head. So I want to hear, you said you said you had like kind of two opposites of superpowers. And so you said zoning people out is one side. And then, so what's your technical superpower then? Well, I think my, I guess my technical superpower is, this is going to sound like I'm really like flattering myself, but I think that like whatever sort of challenge I've been given, I'll try to just do it. Uh, even if I don't know any sort of background about it, like, you know, I've had previous jobs where people were sort of like, here's a Docker thing, go do something with it. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know anything about Docker. I don't know anything about this, you know, but I think that challenge was always like, it has not is, but has always kind of been like, kind of a drive for me to be like, okay, I don't know this thing. I'm going to go figure it out. Um, even if I have no background, no history on it. Like even my current job, I have no background in Node in JavaScript promises sometimes make me cry. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of a power, a superpower for me is just kind of going for it, jumping in the deep end and trying to figure it out. 
It takes a lot of, uh, what's the right word? The first words that came to mind were like courage, bright, bravery, but it's almost like it's a willingness to sit with yourself in a place of not knowing and then trust that I've got some skills. I trust my ability to figure out the thing. I figured out things before. And even when you're in that place of like uncertainty where you've got all these things to learn, all these things you don't know how to do, like, all good. I, I got this. I just chip away things and I figure it out. And it's the superpower is in comfort, I would say, with being in that place of uncertainty, being in that place of not knowing and trusting in your own capabilities. That's a pretty cool superpower, I'd say. It really is. I almost want to say chutzpah, but that's also not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a professor that used the term uh, being productively lost, which is like differentiating from I guess being hopelessly lost or something like that. But it's like when you have no idea what the answer is or how to get there, you at the very least have, I guess, either wisdom or experience or intuition of what I can do that might lead me to a trail out of the desert in terms of, you know, whether it's typing something into your search engine or who knows what. It, that's what it made me think of. So the second part of this question so is what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? So, you know, we've talked about the style of just be able to jump into the mess, feel good enough about your skills to be able to get out of the mess. And it's a certain mindset. And so I'm curious, where do you think that mindset came from? So when I, so I went to a, a boot camp, that boot camp, rest in peace, does <laughs> not exist anymore. But um, they had taught us about sort of kind of this idea of like, fixed mindset versus growth mindset and this idea of that like there's only so much you can learn and you're just going to be in this mindset for the rest of your life and then versus this growth mindset of like there's so much for me to learn and so much for me to grow and I don't know everything but there's also this idea of like I don't know everything and that is okay and being able to kind of move up from there and so I think you know having learning more about that I think kind of gave me understanding into like it's okay to not know everything and there are ways and there are resources for you to kind of figure it out and to kind of use those resources as well to your advantage. You know, it's like if you have teammates who know more about it, you know, ask them if you have managers or, you know, people that you can talk to, talk to them about it, you know. So definitely I feel that like, you know, maybe it's always kind of been there, but I think having that sort of understanding and reading more about that sort of like solidified like what exactly that was. And because I think for me too, when I was kind of growing up, I felt that like, not knowing something was a bad thing and then kind of relearning like that it's okay to not know everything. Yeah. I sometimes struggle with that feeling of like when I move into a new platform or a new, you know, technical context where you just sort of flounder around and trying to figure out what's going to be there. And, and like, sometimes I forget that I can learn and I, that I can be comfortable like in this state of just like, oh, all right, I'm just going to be Googling the heck out of this for a week. And when I can, I'd be like, oh, I can just relax. I'm like, oh, that, this is where I am. But I, I don't always remember that. But I, I think that's really cool that you sort of have that default attitude when you get into that situation that, oh, yeah, I, I can do this. I think it also changes our attitude a lot of how we treat other people around us and being able to encourage other people and create safe space for not knowing all the things and not, you know, like you didn't know that thing. And you notice like the ways that we judge ourselves, we tend to reflect on others, right? If we, if we feel a certain way about ourselves, then we're critical of others in that same sort of way. And if in ourselves, we shift to this growth mindset, if we shift to this place of it's totally okay to not know, 
then we also invite other people to be free and not know in that way too. And we open the possibilities for learning by creating that kind of culture around us. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I always try and do that by just demonstrating, like just doing it, just saying, Hey, you know, I didn't know this thing. It was really hard to learn it, but I did it. So I'm curious now, are there other sorts of hobbies and stuff you have outside of software? What, what kind of things do you do? I say I kind of, amateur photography photographer you know i i sort of adopted my dad's old like film camera and then i years ago i had saved up for a dslr as well so i kind of got into sort of different modes of photography i still call myself an amateur because i feel like there's still a lot to learn a lot of my hobbies too they have to do with like being able to zone out so it's like photography is a mode of zoning out because <laughs> it's sort of like you kind of have to think about the picture and the, the composition at hand and being able to ignore everything else. I guess you can say, yeah, it's one hobby of mine. I have really random things, but that one I think is the one that stands out the most for me. I was asking because I was wondering if the willingness to jump in and learn new things also translated to jumping in a whole bunch of other things outside of technology things, too. So that was kind of what my curiosity led me down. But it sounds like, you know, photography and stuff, it doesn't sound that's the case that it led to like a flourishing in these other things. It sounds like you find a certain amount of peace and being able to kind of like zone out within yourself. And that's like good, happy, safe space. I mean, yeah, like I've definitely have ventured into a lot of different like hobbies and things like that. Some that I've only sort of adopted for like maybe a month or two. And I was like, oh, not really for me, um, <laughs> you know. But yeah, no, I think that is definitely like a lot of the things that I kind of look for sort of just like, you know, one is like, what is something that will challenge me? And sort of two, like what is what will sort of like, yeah, give me a sense of peace or being able to kind of think about things in a more sort of molecular way. I don't know, sort of a smaller way. Yeah. <laughs> in a molecular way. I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. I'm curious what you mean. I'm also curious what I mean. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting choice of word. And it, it was clear, like when you stopped and paused and we're looking for a word, you're like, there's not a word for what I'm trying to say, but this is sort of like the closest proxy I can think of in the moment. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's like there's a whole bunch of unpacking there of molecular. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, too, like, what did I mean by that? How to think of that? It's, you know, because I, I think when I think about code as well, you think of things as, as small components or individual components. You know, like, it's, especially when you're, like, learning how to code or just coding, you want to think about things, like, one step at a time. You know, that's how I like to think about even just, like, when you're learning something new, too. It's, it's like, you're often, when you're, like, like, when you're learning something, you're just sort of, like, oh, there's so much, right? There's, like, an entire world, and I think that entire world can become very, like, overwhelming. But being able to kind of take chunks at a time, I think that could be really helpful, especially, like, when you're learning something new. It's kind of like also kind of like my learning process too. Like how do you take things from a small thing or something really big and try to make it into small little components that are understandable, if that makes sense. And that strikes me as a good learning technique is if you can break down the big concepts into the small things that you can learn that, you know, you just knocked those little things down and then it's also not daunting, but also easy to measure progress. And just like with code, you know, small easy to understand chunks are great for everyone. And maybe that's what gives you that sense of confidence when you're going in tackling some new space, some new domain as you go, oh, I'll just break this down into little pieces and focus on the little pieces one thing at a time. And I don't have to worry about all this stuff, just this one little bit. 
something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, especially when I was like learning how to code too, when I was going through like dev boot camp, you know, it's it's like a 19 week like intensive course. So you're you're getting thrown things at you and you're like, you know, and I, and I think that like, you know, a lot of people kind of freak out because it'd be like, I don't know everything. And, you know, so and I the thing is too is like, I didn't know everything either. And even when I was going from one lesson to the next lesson to like, I didn't understand everything. But I think it was sort of like, you know what, like, I would tell myself, it's like, you know, what, it's okay, if I don't know everything, it'll all click at the end. That's the promise I kept telling myself. It'll all click at the end, even if I don't understand it now. And did it? It did. Yeah. So you have to trust your instinct. Yeah. So it strikes me almost that the core of that skill is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Like you, you can say, you know, right, I don't know everything right now. It probably feels not great, but like I can have some faith that eventually it will and it's okay to be here where I am right now. And I, I, re- I mean, that's valuable in all sorts of different situations. I really like that. So you started with this backstory in your bio of this past life career in marketing. And I assume you went down some path where that seemed like the direction you wanted to go. And then you had some significant event in life of some sort, I'm assuming, that caused you to reconsider and decide to change direction. Would you mind telling us a bit about your journey in your marketing career and what made you decide to change direction? So I graduated as a Bachelor of Arts in English. And so I think, you know, at that time, too, when I had graduated, there's a lot of, like, you can say, like, quote, unquote, like, natural sort of, like, jobs that I feel like people with certain majors kind of get pushed into, you know, whether they want to or not. They're sort of like, these are the natural choices for you because of your major. And so it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, teaching is one of them and, you know, marketing and sales, you know, content, you know, it's content writing. So a lot of like kind of like writing oriented jobs. So I actually had a lot of like sort of sales related jobs in college. So I was like, maybe I'll try my hand at marketing. And it was more of like uh, content writing within marketing that I got into. It was like, well, I've been writing for four years. So let's try more writing. <laughs> for me personally, I didn't find it very challenging because it was I felt very like uh, there was certain sort of repetition to what I was doing kind of over and over again. And so I thought that like, you know, it's, I don't think this is really for me. And so, you know, and I thought about too, is like maybe it's just the job, maybe it's just the position I'm at, like maybe I should try other options, things like that. But, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, but I had sort of this, I guess you can say intuition to just be like, I don't think this is really for me. I don't know if I'm going to last very long in this career. And so, you know, I want to say like, naturally my family is literally all like engineers and a lot of them are engineers um and so i don't know if me being like an english major was like a rebellion and so um you know but it was sort of you know something that like i wasn't really sure about you know i started kind of you know sort of like well what are my career options out there and so so i saw that like you know my dad and my brothers you know they're you know engineers or within technical roles so i was like Okay, maybe I can try my hand at this too. And I took some like computer science classes and things like that um, to try to kind of see, you know, and, and then what I kind of learned from that, well, actually I failed my first programming uh, college course. Uh, I got like a D in like C++, but C++ is a terrible language to learn as a first language. <laughs> <laughs> but even though I failed at it, I still liked it because I felt that it was challenging. I felt that it was, that I was learning something new, that there was like, billion ways to solve one thing and i love that 
you know, it's like, you know, I think when I was like sort of like writing or I was doing things, different things, it was sort of just like, there's only really one way to do this. There's only really, but it's, it's like, I needed, I needed a way to like stretch my brain. Um, and I think that's what I was craving. So I think, you know, taking those engineering courses, like really helped me to be like, well, even though I failed at it, like I really failed at all my courses, but I, I was like, I still like this, but I thought that maybe the language, it's the wrong language, it's the wrong approach to maybe learning. So that's when I then looked into like boot camps at that time, which I think it was like 2014 when boot camps were sort of kind of coming out. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, it's not a very interesting story, but uh, it's sort of, you know, a story of how I transitioned into software engineering. I thought it was a great story. It gave me lots of thoughts. Just the words you used of stretching your brain are interesting. Like in contrasting the situation where something starts to feel repetitive, something that interesting feeling goes away and, and you get bored and don't feel like your brain is growing. And then there's this joy that comes from learning new things and stretching your brain. And I'm guessing it sounds like your your superpower that you talked about of being able to go into this zone where you can, you know, really spend a lot of time with your own thoughts, tune out only the things that are relevant to what's going on in your ma- your brain when you're coding or whatever. I mean, that's a powerful skill when you're working, right? And then at the same time, finding that love of stretching your brain as the thing that you gravitate toward becomes super powerful. It also makes me think about like in general, when you're trying, when you're going to school and you're trying to figure out what is it I want to do with my life? What is it that I love that is my gravity? And I found there are certain subjects that are like a wilderness of possibilities that you can see different ways that you can learn an infinite amount about. And there's always more to learn. There's always more to get excited about because, you know, it's one of these cool wilderness living things to explore. And when you find one of those really cool wilderness to explore, that you fall in love with the wilderness. If you can find a way to build a career somehow that allows you to experience the joy of stretching your brain to better understand more of the wilderness, that that becomes like a joy fountain in your life that you can find a way to do a career that you'll never get bored with basically, right? There's always more cool things to learn, whether it's like, let's say if I'm really into horses or something, right? If I really, really, really love learning all the things there are about horses, how can I turn that into a career? And there's, there's so many ways to turn a love into a career with technology these days, right? And I, I think that's the key though, is finding something that you can genuinely fall in love with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, since I've been sort of like, a, you know, I've had a professional career now since like 2015. And yeah, I mean, since then, too, it's, you know, as I mentioned in my bio, like, I've just been jumping around, you know, it's like, I have, I've done a lot of like rails, and I started off with rail, like Ruby and rails. And, you know, and then I made a weird transition into Go, and then like Go, and then like Docker, and then now I'm like a node. And so it's like, I like being the the Jane of all trades. Um, you know, I I mean I I may not be able to be you know the master, but I like just jumping around and, and learning things. <laughs> so that's um kind of amazing because unfortunately I think I've got the shortest career I think among all of us here. But it seems to me that most employers are not that forward thinking in terms of 
hiring someone and say like, well, we need someone for node and you don't know node. So how could you possibly be successful at this job? You know, like, which I always felt is like asking a carpenter, like, well, what kinds of woods are you used to working with? But yeah, how did you, how did you manage that, that jump? Or was it within the same company or, you know, how did you do that? So, I mean, early on, you know, first two companies, I worked a lot within sort of the same, same domain. I was working with a lot of like Ruby on Rails projects. Uh, even just like just like Ruby Ruby framework projects, so like Sinatra as well and stuff, you know. And then I think I, I one day then I went up to my manager and I said, you know, I kind of want to do something different. You know, I've been doing the Rails thing for a bit. Um, you know, give me a new challenge. They were like, well, we have some Go projects that need a little bit of love. Uh, you know, would you like to try your hand there? And I said, sure. <laughs> you know, let's you know let's try that. And so. I feel like I've been kind of lucky enough to be able to work work in companies that like have allowed me to jump into different things and having like managers who I trust you and then but also like want you to learn, you know, being yeah, I think that's very important. And yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how I've done it. And, you know, also like, you know, with my current place too, it's uh it's probably one of the first places where I've not truly touched anything grouping in like six months which is like huge for me um <laughs> so you know yeah i think it's like yeah going for as previously discussed like you know going for challenges that you're not sure about but then also you know being like at least like lucky and privileged enough to like be able to work with managers who like want you to branch out and stuff i think that's very important so we were talking earlier about um how like you're so good at jumping into new topics and feeling if not comfortable, at least confident that you can learn the things you need to learn and I, and how that gives you a sense of empathy for other people who are in that situation and how you like, you don't criticize people for not knowing things because, you know, you just have to learn things. And so it's not really a, a problem. And so I want to sort of jump into the topic of empathy and engineering a little bit more in detail because I think it's a really valuable thing to discuss. One thing that makes me think about is you mentioned this dissociative sort of thing do you notice other people around you that do the zoning out thing too does that does recognizing the zoning out change how you interact with people when i have noticed that people potentially are zoning out like i think it's like for example if i'm like explaining something and they're kind of just like they're kind of zoning out and so i begin to kind of feel that like maybe i'm not explaining this correctly or like maybe i need to try this a different way you know, as, I think like, you know, a part of like the learning process too, it's like I've, I've seen people sort of like zone out when this is how I'm interpreting it. I don't know if they're doing this because of this, but, but you know, they're potentially zoning out because it's like maybe the concept or the way that I'm explaining something isn't like I'm not doing it well and I need to try a different way to like explain something. You know, I think once like I was trying to explain like how a message bus system like worked with someone and I guess like, I noticed that the person kept looking around and like not where I was writing. <laughs> and so I wasn't sure if, if the person just didn't understand what I was saying or like they're zoning out because they're super distracted. But, you know, that's when I kind of noticed like maybe I need to explain something different or maybe we just need a break. It's been a long day, you know. And so that's kind of like I guess some patterns that I've, I've kind of seen within the workplace, at least with potentially other coworkers or colleagues. 
It's interesting to me because I have a pretty significant auditory focus handicap with just being able to focus in conversations. It's one of the reasons I slant so heavily toward visual and like wanting to take notes and, you know, things like that because it makes it easier for me to listen. So I found ways. It's not like I can't listen at all, but I use various visual means as a way to help my brain anchor and be able to focus on our, on the conversation and my auditory fatigue you know, if I think about it, like building up over time, you know, you, you hit a level of fatigue and then it's like, I, I can't take more input. I, my input mm-hmm. is full. Yeah. And even if someone is making more words, I can't hear anymore. You know, I need to get a break. I need to get away. But the thing is, though, I've realized since I'm dissociative though, too, then when other folks are kind of tuning out and things, I'm more sensitive and aware to them tuning out, but also forgiving in that it's not necessarily personal, right? They're, Mm -hmm. they're living inside their meat sack, as I've come to call it. And, you know, they're full on input. They had, you know, stressful day, they got other stuff going on in their head. And one of the things I've noticed as just, you know, in the world right now is like a lot of folks are very, you know, emotional and stressed out about all the things going on. And one of the things that happens, people get pulled into their head, right? You got all this emotional stress and everything get pulled into, you know, playing movies in your head. And so I see a lot more people that are in this sort of dissociative mode. And what ends up happening is interesting because on one hand, you have someone's like, ah, I can't handle any more of this, you know, just giving you the hand. And then if the people on the other side take that defensively, take it personally, if there's, you know, this is rejection or something wrong with them, then you end up with these sort of escalating patterns when it really has nothing to do with that situation at all. It's just everyone's stressed out. Maybe we do just need to go, go for a walk. I'm, I, yeah. I'm in a Twitter break right now. Like I, I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm going to post flowers in the morning and I'm yeah. not going to look at anything in Twitter because it's the intensity is so high. Like it has, right. it has this real vortex effect that like pulls you into these addictive loops. And then you've got this, this whole system that's based on this like attention treadmill and it's super easy to get caught up in. And it's yeah. super easy to get caught up in reading all the things, right? Until you just go mad with, you know, in, in getting pulled into this world. I'm, I'm curious just with, if you look at the patterns of dissociation on just context of your development team, where you see those patterns happen and what kind of places that you see maybe disconnected conversation when people are kind of in their own heads. Yeah. I have noticed this a lot, I think, while pair programming, just because I think with pair programming, there's a lot of, there's like constant discussion, right? There's constant conversation, which can be really exhausting, like could be really exhausting for people, right? Um, because you're, you're constantly having to like filter your brain in this way that people can understand what you're saying. You know, those are some of the patterns that I've kind of seen, at least when you're pair programming. And if you're pair programming without taking breaks, like frequent breaks, like maybe every 45 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes, depending on your schedule. But it's sort of like, you know, when you're not taking those constant breaks, you're kind of seeing people like kind of getting exhausted. You know, either maybe the, the conversation's not going as smoothly or maybe it's like or maybe when you're working on something, you're like talking even more you know it's sort of like when you're in this like state of anxiety or just like really tired so you start talking more to be like i don't know where i'm going with this but i'm just going to keep talking a reverse effect (laughs) that you can have sometimes you know i'm not sure if i'm I'm answering your question 
Oh, that was but, good. It makes me think about pair programming versus mob programming is, is trendy these days too. And it, it makes me think or wonder if that certain programming styles select out people that have more kind of dissociative auditory focus handicaps that get exhausted from that type of interaction. And it's not that you can't, you can find other ways to interact, but, you know, sometimes even just interacting with certain people, some people are just like, I can't handle the intensity coming out of you. Right? I just, I need to go over here so I can be okay. And some people we jive and connect in harmony with and other folks, it's not that we can't connect, but it can take more effort. It can be exhausting. You can have a lot of talking past each other and a lot of effort that's required to like, you're trying to say a thing and they're, and they're like, I don't really understand you. And, and you have disconnected conversations and it's frustrating, right? When it takes a whole bunch of patience to overcome the communication barriers, then it can be really isolating and difficult. You know, we talk a lot about the importance of uh, diversity and there's all of these challenges that come into play when we think differently of figuring out how do you how do you overcome those barriers in different sorts of ideas, different sorts of language. And there's this theory that if we throw everyone in the same room and we code as a mob, that all those problems go away. And I don't know if that's really true. There's this assumption that everyone in the room understands equally what is going on. Is that really true? <laughs> I think you answered your own question. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's something to think about where, you know, we, we have these theories about things and I don't think mob programming is a bad idea or anything. Like I've seen people do really interesting things in that sort of context and create really interesting sort of learning experiences in that sort of context. And at the same time, it seems like the more deviant you are from you know, how your ideas are from the rest of the group, the more difficult it is to overcome those communication hurdles that I can easily see it becoming a common norm that becomes isolating because people don't want to put in the energy to, to necessarily get you up to speed. And so you just stop trying. And I, I can see those turning into like silent effects or silent things that happen as opposed to things that are allowed, oh, we're doing, we're doing the mob programming thing. Everything is great. We all understand. Do we? I'm curious how often in context people actually speak up about those things versus just pretend like everything's all fine. Pretend like I understand and it's all good, you know? Yeah, because when I'm writing, when I'm working, ideally I am engaged in like a very tight feedback loop between me and the system I'm interacting with, like the code base. And how you may interact, your your sort of feedback loop may have a completely different rhythm and different style than mine. So it's like, you know, maybe we're we're working and my brain is like, I would really just love to drop a debugger right there and just and just look around. And I don't even know what I'm looking for. I would just I just really want to know. And it's like if I can't get my mind past that, then I can't be productive on with anything else. Because like my, my my brain's just sort of stuck on that one question that I'm just dying to know about. And it just seems to me that if we've got like a group of people, I don't know how we can all sort of how we can all sort of satisfy that need to sort of learn and answer those tiny questions all at the same time and also drive towards sort of one product. I don't know how we do that. Yeah. And that is that is the core challenge of our industry, is it not? Right. Is everything kind of comes back to communication. 
Yeah, and I think you know, I think you also kind of you know, Jacob, you bring you bring up a point about like different styles of like learning too. I think could like potentially, you know, especially when you're like pair programming, right? There's you know, there's probably one person that's sort of like boom, 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 boom. Let's just kind of go through this, and there's one person that's like, but wait what is the value of that thing? Right. But like, it's like, I don't, I can't, I can't move forward until I know what that, what the state of that thing is or, you know, or just like, you know, how, how to accommodate different styles of learning when, or yeah, different styles of learning or different styles of like coding, et cetera. When you're kind of working with, you know, groups, a group of people or with a single person, I think that's kind of been sort of my, you know, one thing to kind of think about too is like when you're working with other collaborating with other people is sort of like how do you accommodate all the different styles of learning? Uh, one thing, and then can you like you know change your way of, of being able to kind of help someone kind of learn a particular way or like how do you learn? You know, there's always, and I don't know if like pair or mod programming have necessarily helped with that in terms of like accommodating different styles of learning. Maybe it can, uh, but I think it's it's interesting to think about. I can't cite specific sources on this, but I feel like there's been some conversation maybe in the last year about pair programming that when you when you and I talk about pair programming, we actually might not be on the same page about what we mean, even though we're pairing together. And it sort of seems like teams that are allowed to sort of slip in and out of pair programming as they need to are probably going to be the most successful. So it's like, if I'm someone that pairs when I need to ask a question and at other, at other times I'm not, um, or if I, I like to pair to sort of sketch out where I'm going to go with this problem. But once I've sketched it out, I need to sort of go off on my own and, and sort of type it all out because that's how I think it's sort of like if, if a team is sort of enabled to make that a sort of a fluid process, it seems like that's going to be successful for me. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've been, you know, in situations like in, in companies where it was like, like 90%, 90, 95% like coding. And then I've been in companies where there was zero coding. And then I've also been in coding environments where it's like kind of a hybrid where it's sort of like you code or you pair as, as needed. And I especially did like the environments where like I was able to like pair as needed just to kind of help you kind of get unstuck. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I found thinking about working at Pivotal gives me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, like doing a solid eight hours every day, two hands on, key, you know, two two keyboards. Like, I'm sure it would grow my skills at pairing a great deal, but I think I would be exhausted to the point of falling over at the end of every day. Uh, and so I'm much happier with a, a sort of ad hoc way of doing that. Although I do keep an eye out for opportunities to do it a little bit more frequently rather than just when I'm stuck on things. Yeah. I think like having even just like a conversation, like even with me sometimes, like, you know, I was kind of getting stuck on what's the difference between NPM install and NPM update because I don't, I can't figure out what the difference is. And so, you know, sometimes I'll bring that out, like bring it up in, in a Slack channel and just being like, let's have a conversation about this. Like what are these things even really doing? Uh, Cause the stack overflow People are not helping as usual. And so, like, you know, what do I, you know, what do I do? And so I think it's like, you know, you know, as I think already mentioned, like open communication, right? Like keeping communication open, even if you're not pairing all the time, like pairing isn't just one way of collaboration and communication. So as a, as a generalist that has all these different skills in different languages, you find yourself helping to bridge those gaps, you know, with peers on your team, because it, it's kind of like being able to speak a whole bunch of different languages, right? 
And even if the folks around you, maybe they know three of the languages, but you're fluent in like 10 of them or something, then you kind of become this bridge person, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, well, I think, you know, I think everyone can kind of bring something to the table. So it's sort of like, yeah, I know like one thing about something, but, you know, it's like, yeah, I know a little bit about like this aspect of JavaScript, but, you know, there's another person on my team is actually like a really good front-end engineer and knows JavaScript really well. And like being able to like have those conversations, you know, to be like, okay, this is my understanding. This is your understanding. How we bring this together to be like, oh, this is how this thing works. Do you find that you bring idioms and ideas from one language to another in terms of ways of thinking? Because one of the things I've I've definitely heard about people that learn lots of different languages is one of the things they enjoy is each language is a different way of thinking about the problem, right? It's a different abstraction, a way to sort of describe your ideas to the machine. And I'm curious if there's crossover, like ideas from one context spill over into another and if there's anything that jumps to mind. Yeah, I mean, going from like, you know, one example is like going from Ruby to like JavaScript. It's sort of like synchronous programming versus asynchronous programming and sort of kind of like learning like how to think about something in a way where it's sort of like, you know, when you're in Ruby and even just like Go and other languages, like the expectation is like, these lines will go in according to how I wrote them. And then there's JavaScript where it's like, mm -mm, I might run this line first, and then maybe I'll wait for that one, and then I'm going to run this one. You know, I think, you know, to answer your question, just like, I've always tried to find ways that I can, like, try to use my understanding of other languages in, you know, I think JavaScript has actually been one of, like, the harder language to learn because it's such a different way of programming. Uh, and different ways to think about it. But I think, you know, one thing that I have, I think, tried to like kind of uh, navigate over is sort of like the tools and how to think about like structure. You know, for example, like being in Rails, like Rails being a very like opinionated framework, it has like a structure and ways of doing things. Whereas like I didn't find Node to be. Node is, in my opinion, is like figure it out. You know, it's sort of like the Sinatra, right? It's like, you know, just do whatever kind of does best. So like, and there's different tools I think that help you. But, you know, I think me and then I have another member of my team who's also like has written in Rails. So it's like, we kind of go back and we try like, okay, well, this is how it's done in Rails. Like, does that architecture kind of work for this project? And will it help with this project? Like, oh, like, should we have our routes like this? Should we, you know, have business logic here? Like, I think like, being a part of different languages kind of helps in terms of navigating others in terms of like, I've helped, I think I've helped with, it's helped with like at least like software structure and design and stuff for sure. Do you have things that you do when you're working with someone specifically that helps increase the amount of empathy in a relationship or like specific techniques or is it you find it just spreading the knowledge around the team or techniques around the team or is it something you do specifically with an individual? I think with like joining any new team, I think it's helpful to not assume everything like and I and I think what I mean by this is sort of like you know you can come into a new language you can come into a new project and you're like well why did you do this why did you do this like why would why would anyone ever do it this way and I think it's just like don't come with those opinions you know I think there's a reason why something happened and so it's like I think you can have you know empathy for those team members you know you know, ask them, be like, oh, I noticed that this style is all functional programming. Why did we do this? You know, or this this project here only has, you know, some weird way of doing stuff. Like, why did this happen? Don't say weird stuff, you know. <laughs> but I think, like, it's kind of one of the things I think when I'm joining a new team is definitely, like, don't assume and 
ask questions about things rather than tell people why you don't like something. So this is the part of the show where we wrap up and do reflections and take a minute to think about all the different threads through the show, wrap up any kind of final thoughts or takeaways. I think the thing that's going to stick with me is, is your talk early on about being comfortable in new unknown situations. Like, as I was saying before, that sort of be comfortable being uncomfortable, I think is a really valuable skill that sometimes I'm able to achieve and, and I would like to achieve more. So like thinking about it a little bit more explicitly and trying to being intentional about recognizing uncomfortable, like learning situations and, and explicitly saying, you know, to myself, you know, it's going to be fine. We're going to figure this out. Um, I, th- I think it's going to be a good thing for me. I'm, I'm, as you, as you were saying, I'm right in the middle of, of like a deep dive on Docker. And so like, I feel completely lost on a lot of the stuff, but I'll get there. You mentioned earlier about how basic like biological needs sometimes <laughs> impair like our ability to like communicate or listen to each other. And it just got me thinking about like we t- this is we talk about this on the show all the time how my biological or emotional state I guess you can sort of use those interchangeably here really does matter at work and somehow we have to find a way where you know work isn't therapy work isn't our family where we're talking about all of our feelings and are accountable for you know, it's a different context than that, but somehow we've got to be in a place where we as professionals acknowledge that someone's biological state or emotional state uh, has relevance uh, to their ability to do work. And it's something that we can actually talk about with within appropriate boundaries. Interesting. I keep thinking back to this thread of changing paths of you know, from marketing to engineering and to get to a point of realizing, okay, I'm going down this path and this isn't really what I want to do. Stepping into a totally new zone with new skills, new space, giving up, you know, your existing career you've built so far and going on new adventures. It's that same spirit of, I'm okay, I can break it down. I can figure out the thing. And I think about the challenges I've had in my own life. And one of the big things I've struggled with is that inertia around being able to try new things. I mean, even when you're talking about hobbies, it's like, oh, I jump, try that one out for a couple months and stuff. Try something out for a couple months. That's hard for me anyway. Like breaking outside of my zone, like often requires someone else helping pull me over that edge. And I think realizing that you have a gift and being able to be comfortable in that space and not everyone does that if you see others that have trouble with you know overcoming that kind of inertia of trying new things that maybe you can kind of be a force in the world for getting people outside of their outside of their boxes and finding that same place within themselves where they can be chill they can be okay with not knowing um, I think is something that you have a lot to offer with that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I really like what Jacob said uh, earlier about being productive, productively lost. I guess I, I didn't really think about it that way. You know, I just thought of just like, you know, you are lost. You're in these, you know, as already mentioned, like you're in this wilderness. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't know where you're going, but there's progress being made. You know, I also really like uh, later discussions about even like pair programming too and different styles of that, you know, different styles of learning. 
I feel like I was always in this group where people are like, Her programming is the way, it's the way, it's the way. And it, it's, uh, I think I found it very comforting to be in a group where it's sort of like, well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Embry. This was really great. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm glad uh, Jennifer, too, suggested me. This was really fun. <laughs> <laughs>